You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. And welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee at Acumen Law, and with me, my co-host, Paul Doroshenko. And I'm just glad to be in your aura of fame now that you've got yet another TikTok. Yet another viral uh, TikTok. Going viral. Yes. And it's something we are going to discuss today. Yes. You, I, um, you look like you don't like the chair. I don't like the chair. It wasn't where I like it to be. It's my office guest I'm, chair. Look, okay, I'm very particular. I have to be comfortable in order to produce content. Are. Um, you have to accommodate me. Um, what was I going to say? Yes. Uh, I, re- I did a TikTok today. I've been very busy all day and, uh, big, 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 big day for the Supreme Court of Canada to release our much anticipated road case. I think we've talked about it a few times we, on the, uh, on the podcast yeah, because I mean, we, we talked were waiting about the Court of and appeal, waiting. And we talked about the Court of Appeal judgment. Yeah. And we'd been waiting for this for a long time. The Court of Appeal in uh, Quebec had convened a five-panel judge back in... Uh, five-panel judge? Five-panel court, rather. Five-judge <laughs> court. Uh, and considered the issue with respect to making an ASD demand in circumstances where you don't have an approved screening device there. Um, and this was in the old version of the criminal code where it said uh, immediately in French, forthwith in English... Um, and of course the uh, immediate requirement is one that we have in the criminal code now. Yes. And so what happened in that case for the listeners who are new or don't remember, Mr. Bro was given an ASD demand. Uh, the officer did not have an ASD with him and he was made to wait for one to arrive at the scene and he refused to blow before it arrived, before it arrived. And also after it arrived, he continued to, to refuse. And the court found that it was uh, originally a valid demand. They applied the law in um, two Ontario Court of Appeal cases as well as one Quebec Court of Appeal case that it basically said, yeah, you know, forthwith is supposed to be given a flexible interpretation, meaning that what's forthwith is going to depend on the circumstances of a case and what might be forthwith in one case may not be forthwith in another case. So, um, you know, don't, uh, don't, don't knock the police. They can't always have an ASD with them. That would be unreasonable. Yeah. And, uh, the court looked at it and of course there was a number of decisions going back and these, uh, I guess the, uh, Woods decision from the Supreme Court of Canada, which was just suspicious decision. It was like a long time, an hour and 20 minutes after the demand that they were presenting the person to the ASD. And of course that was not acceptable. And there was the <clears throat> cases like Burnshaw where they talk about, you can delay for the purpose of taking a, a suitable sample. And there's grant where it was 30 minutes. <clears throat> yes. And so the courts had really, come to the conclusion that a delay was permissible despite the fact that the criminal code said forthwith and the forthwith requirement. I mean, you and I have argued this over and over a million times in front of the superintendent of motor vehicles tribunal. The forthwith requirement exists for a reason. Yep. Uh, it is to minimize the 10 B violation. You've got a right to counsel normally upon detention. Yep. And if you are there detained and they cannot fulfill or are not about to fulfill your 10B requirements, 
The evidence that's obtained is not supposed to be used against you. Of course, it is in BC for the purpose of uh, immediate roadside prohibitions. But um, the sample can only be obtained pursuant to the criminal code and forthwith in order to ensure that the detention is minimal and your right to counsel violation is minimal. Yes. So Quebec Court of Appeal overturned the original trial judge. Yeah, he was convicted at trial. Yep. Overturned by a five-judge panel of the Quebec Court of Appeal who said, this is not good law, this law that is developed to say, you know, there's this flexible interpretation. It's actually quite a rigid interpretation. And the Supreme Court of Canada, I think today, went one step further and said, really, the only time that you can delay doing the ASD test or making the ASD demand, and they say in paragraph two of the judgment for those adjudicators that are listening that like to pretend that the demand and the testing requirements are somehow subject to different legal standards. They're not. It's implicit <laughs> that it is. Uh, it's all immediate. immediate. Everything from, must um, be immediate. Immediate from the opinion or the stop and then immediate to take the test. Yes. So uh, the Supreme Court of Canada said the only time that you can justify a delay is one, if it's necessary to get a reliable sample like mouth alcohol, something like that, or two, unusual circumstances. And they haven't defined what unusual no. <laughs> circumstances are, so that's going to be our bread it's and butter for the next decade. Litigate <laughs> whether or not something is an unusual circumstance. But I think you can probably like discern, you know, they said, obviously, waiting for a device to arrive, not in and of itself, unusual circumstances. I think a trip to the washroom might be an unusual circumstance. What? Everybody pees. Yeah, I know. But if you're at the roadside there and you're about to you know, you've got diarrhea or something, that might be the unusual circumstance that permits a delay. Yeah, I mean, unusual circumstances are, are. I think they're the type of thing, though, that you would know when you see it. Probably in most cases, yes. It, unusual circumstances is not going to be the officer being unfamiliar with the operation of an ESD and getting a weird error and having to phone a supervisor. You're supposed to be qualified. Sure. Unusual circumstances are not going to be an ASD with dead batteries because that just means you've got no ASD. You didn't test it at the beginning of your shift. I feel like that's on you. The Supreme Court of Canada endorses the language from the Quebec Court of Appeal that was basically, you know, the job, the role of the courts is not to facilitate the job of the police, nor as a matter of fact, to complicate it. And really, it shouldn't be a resource issue. Um, you, if you've got ASDs, you're supposed to make sure that they're properly maintained and properly functioning. And if you've got a malfunctioning ASD, that's not going to be an ASD. It's not an ASD at that point. That's your view of it. I know that there are courts that take a different view. <laughs> well, we'll view. see. <laughs> um, this will have a big impact in Ontario because Ontario significantly was following this. This will also have a huge impact in B.C., because that Ontario law, DiGiorgio, is the Ontario case, was being relied on repeatedly. I have a number of judicial review decisions that are going to be impacted, or outstanding judicial review cases that are going to be impacted, because this reasoning that was applied in Ontario, that's never been applied in BC, was being applied by the superintendent of motor vehicles. And, yeah, exactly. It was never applied in BC. And it's upsetting <laughs> to me that here we are, um, and... Just recently, the provincial government changed the law so we can't go back a few years to deal with all of the IRPs yeah. that people received in circumstances, um, all of the IRPs that were issued over the years that 
were in circumstances where the person was detained there unlawfully and then subjected to a demand and then it was a refusal circumstance and they were upheld. I mean, I'd love to go back through the files and see if we could identify them. I mean, in theory, you can apply for an extension of the 60-day timeline to file judicial review. So you could say, you know, the Supreme Court of Canada overturned the the Giorgio case from the Ontario Court of Appeals. So, And we've been arguing, bro, for two years. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe we should try and do that. But it does, it, it, it does irritate me that it feels like there's almost one law in BC for the criminal law and another law in BC when it comes to IRPs as far as how the provisions of the criminal code are interpreted. And that shouldn't be. Well, I think one day we should have a real dig into it discussion about the whole way that we've come now over the history of the IRP scheme to deal with credibility and reliability. You think about McKinnon's decisions at the beginning where his concerns were... McEwen. Sorry, McEwen. I was trying to remember his name. <laughs> He's retired now. You're just like referring to a provincial mm-hmm. court judge. <laughs> yeah, that was Judge McKinnon. She's deceased, I'm afraid to say. But the uh, uh, his decisions, he was concerned with reverse engineering and the manner in which evidence was being dealt with. And the court has been trying to be generous with the tribunal all the way along. And I have significant concerns, and this was a good example of it where they were cherry-picking decisions from other provinces to rely on, um, knowing full well that this was never the interpretation that was in British Columbia. And now I'll tell you what my expectation is going to be. Uh, you know, reading the decision, the Supreme Court of Canada made a decision to decline to clearly expressly deal with this in relation to the provisions of the criminal code that are now in force. So this was dealing with the forthwith provisions mm-hmm. and the forthwith provisions uh, were changed to immediate. And they did say that, you know, this is obviously going to be instructive, but they, they declined to say, we're just going to look at this and, and make a ruling that applies but to that. I, d- I don't see how any judge, like you'd have to engage in some real intellectual backbending to say that forthwith more clearly means immediately than the word immediately means immediately, especially because the French version of the legislation didn't change. Have you ever conducted a hearing before the superintendent of motor vehicles, Kyla? No, never. Yeah. But still, that would have to be some pretty like <clears throat> significant intellectual backbending, even by the adjudicators. Well, I mean, a lot of the times I look at it and I ha- cannot persuade myself that it's an intellectually honest decision. And I am concerned that this is what we're going to see. So we'll, well have to wait and see, I guess. We will see what we see. But I already <laughs> referred to it today in the course of a hearing. It was it mattered. Me too. It was like my second hearing this morning. I was like, you get to be the first adjudicator to hear about this. Lucky you. <laughs> well, you know, they ignore certain BC Supreme Court decisions um, Pretty hard to ignore the Supreme Court of Canada, though, because the BC Supreme Court is bound by it. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, you and I talked about the changes to the manual a while back and um, the changes to the manual that were designed to facilitate them doing something that should be clear on the face of this decision. But we'll see. They might say, look, the Supreme Court of Canada specifically declined to comment on these new provisions. I still don't see how you can get around the clarity of the use of the term immediately. Well, we will know in about two weeks time when we have enough decisions to be able to say what their method is going to be. Sure. In any event, 
the other big news today that I wanted to discuss on the podcast, and I don't think you even know about this unless you've been reading some of our inter-office Slack channels that you don't normally participate in. Um, we finally have a little bit more clarification in British Columbia on some of the distracted driving laws. Oh, did we get a decision? Well, we, we didn't were get discussing a the coming of a decision a few days yes. ago under the under the heading tickets. Yes, that is so a decision. We don't have a copy of the reasons, so there's not much to say at this point. But the decision involves a person who was wearing a smartwatch. Wearing it. I think I, I know a little bit about this. I don't know what happened in the end. Issued a ticket. Yes. For using an electronic device. Yes. Because it was a smartwatch. Yes. And was found not guilty. Now, there's not a copy of the reasons for judgment publicly available yet, so I don't know why she was found not guilty, and all of my efforts to try and get a copy of them have thus far been unsuccessful. But it wasn't one of our cases. It wasn't one of our cases. I found out about it through a number of channels, um, but I found out about the judgment. I was in court, and uh, the officer who had issued the smartwatch ticket happened to be in court and the judicial justice who had heard the trial was in court that day. And he mentioned in court that he wanted to bring the matter ahead to an earlier date for a judgment, which I thought was weird because the accused wasn't notified about that. But I mean, if it's an acquittal, then who cares? Right. <laughs> well, I mean, the accused may still care and the accused may want to be there for the purpose of the hearing. But the point here and is going, that, yeah, I told you so. The, uh, the, <laughs> The, uh, <laughs> the judicial justice presiding over trial court sees one party to the uh, to the incident and tells them, look, I want to get this thing on. I think that's pretty fair to do. Huh? Yeah, in any event. So I knew about it from that. And then when I was in court earlier this week, um, one of the other officers on that officer's team said, hey, so constable, blah, 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 blah. Uh, Did you hear about this? <laughs> got the reasons on that smartwatch case and the, the person was acquitted. But I want to know if it was a legal acquittal or well, if it real, was an acquittal on the basis of some other fact. It was down to this question of whether or not a smartwatch that was worn on the body secured to the wrist fell within the definition of an electronic device. Held. Yeah. Was it holding the device or yeah. is it wearing the device? Because wearable tech is allowed. Well, I mean, that's the thing. You can have a Bluetooth earpiece and that's wearable tech. And the mm, so. Motor Vehicle Act allows you to have tech securely affixed to your person. Well, there you go. Um, I wonder if the provincial government's going to have to deal with this because there's a lot you can do on your smartwatch. You could spend 20 minutes on your smartwatch. Yes, you could, but then that would probably fall within the definition of watching the screen of an electronic device, as opposed to a glance or maybe a tap, which might not fall within the definition of using an electronic device. Anyway, I'm, I... Have we ordered the decision? Do we have the decision? Are we, we haven't ordered the decision? the decision. I heard that the decision is going to be reported. Oh, um, so we're going to try and save ourselves we, the $32. Yeah, well, we tried to go to the registry and get a copy of the reasons, and they don't have them in the court file. Um, do, so we they know the, do we know enough information to be able to identify it? I have my channels and I do, um, know enough information to be able to identify it. Um, 
I have the violation ticket number and everything. So. Well, I'm sure all the judicial justices know about it at this point. Oh, for sure. I'm sure they do. Probably on their internal Slack. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm hoping that it gets reported soon because I'd like to break it down, obviously, for listeners to the podcast and the public. Um on my TikTok. <laughs> I don't know why people from TikTok don't listen to my podcast, but that's fine. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's the distracted driving update. So smartwatch, not an electronic device that you are prohibited from using, but why we don't know and circumstances that permit its use versus non-use, we also don't know. So still be careful with those smartwatches, folks. All right. I think it's time for something. It's time for a double header of McGracken moments because last week we were so excited about all of the changes to the BC Motor Vehicle Act that we did not get a chance to have our McGracken moment. So And we went long and we could talk about that changes to the BC Motor Vehicle Act for another six weeks. Well, let's not. Let's let people listen to Eric. Ladies and gentlemen. Let loose the law and justice, Kraken, Eric McGraken. Welcome to the McGracken moment. This week I want to talk about ICBC broker payments. So here's what happened. Uh, I'm an old man. I'm a boomer. So I renewed my insurance over the telephone. No problem. Um, Got to call a broker. Broker does what they do and they get a commission. That's fair. You have people providing a service. Now my son renewed his insurance online and This is straight through the ICBC website. So here's what happened. He clicks all the choices he needs to click and purchases his policy. But before he purchases it, a menu pop-up comes up and says, choose a broker. And it's random. You choose some broker somewhere in the province of BC. They don't do anything. They didn't give him advice. They didn't interact with him in any way, shape, or form. He did everything himself directly with the insurer and click done pay he's got his insurance now why did he have to choose a broker it's because the broker still gets a commission still gets a cut of the action why is it in british columbia that you can buy insurance online and that's a good thing why are brokers who aren't providing any services getting any money now i asked icbc about this and they gave me a very uh you know call it bland non-responsive answer saying brokers are important of course they are but if brokers aren't providing you the customer service aren't providing you advice about the product and let's face it we're buying monopoly insurance it's not like we have a choice about the basic coverage that we're compelled to buy to drive why is it that money is going into the broker's pocket in those circumstances that seems like an easy fix in the so-called dumpster fire of icbc thanks welcome to the mcgracken moment today i want to talk about one of icbc's favorite i'll call it a lie one of the things they like to tell people that's simply not true when you have a crash and fault is disputed witnesses are important 
And oftentimes witnesses are family members or friends because they're naturally going to be in your vehicle. ICBC oftentimes tells people, those aren't witnesses. We can't rely on your family members or your friends. They're not impartial. We're not going to listen to them. So if you say something and the other motorist is saying something else, ICBC will often say this is uh, not clear what happened and come up with a decision you might not agree with, despite other people shedding light on what occurred. Well, we got a great decision. This happened last year, calling this out for the nonsense that it is. Family members and friends are witnesses. We've got a case here. It's called Schnipper and Nadeau, and it's a civil resolution tribunal case. Here, a crash happened on a remote dirt road. One motorist crossed the center line and hit the other vehicle. Both motorists blamed each other. A witness saw exactly what happened. The witness was in another vehicle, but happened to be friends with one of the parties. ICBC said, we don't want to listen to that person. Well, the Civil Resolution Tribunal said the corporation was dead wrong and the applicant won the case. Just, just to give you folks some ammunition, if you're ever up against this, here's exactly what the tribunal said. Quote, ICBC argues that no weight should be placed on the witness's evidence because of his friendship with the claimant. This submission apparently reflects a common ICBC practice to refuse to consider evidence from a party's family or friends. This does not reflect the law of evidence or the Civil Resolution Tribunal's practice which routinely weighs evidence from witnesses with relationships to a party, end quote. So full stop, there you go. Your friends can be witnesses. Family members can be witnesses. If people saw what happened, ICBC should listen to them. If ICBC refuses to, the CRT will. Thank you. All right, Paul. Now it's time for the Ridiculous Driver of the Week. The reviews are in. This book has been a lifesaver. If you haven't bought a copy yet, I can't recommend it enough. Thanks to the pinpoint method, I feel like I now have concrete strategies I can employ for difficult situations. Published by LexisNexis, cross-examination the pinpoint method is an essential addition to your bookshelf. Order now. What a bad one this week. <laughs> I had a laugh when you sent it to me, not gonna lie. Um, there was, there were two that you sent me, uh, on your research. One I did not laugh at, hmm. and we're not talking about that one because I think it's wrong, but this one out of Toronto, one person arrested after allegedly stealing a purolator truck while fleeing from police. And the article on CTV Toronto is great. You got a like purolator truck with the front kind of damage, the front quarter panel, <laughs> The front passenger side, I think it was. Yeah. The um, yeah, it sounded like it was like a foot chase. Yeah. And oh, the, it's, it's caught on camera. And the, <laughs> and the, the uh, individual, uh, you know, spots this purolator van and thinks, "Huh, doors open." And of course, so often you you're not thinking about these delivery drivers. Are they leaving the keys in it? Are they pulling the keys out each time? Mm -hmm. If they pull the keys out each time, every time that they're driving that thing. How soon will they wear out the ignition and it need to be replaced? So, you know, just leave the keys in it. And Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I mean, that's I, what makes them easy to steal. I had a laugh in the CTV article um, <laughs> at this line. 
it's not clear what charges, if any, will be laid. What do you mean it's not clear? It's pretty clear to me what charges will be laid. I don't have to be a lawyer to know that flight from police, theft of a motor vehicle. Dangerous operation of a motor vehicle. Pretty clear contenders in this case. Like, oh, it's not clear. Well, you steal a pure later truck. It's pretty clear. Uh, I think the I think the police probably know what they intend to charge that person with yeah. with relation to the truck. <laughs> but maybe they're looking at it and saying that that he's got a reasonable excuse because he, you know, had to jump into that truck well, in know, order to get away from the police. There was no other option. I mean, okay. Okay, okay. But putting my defense lawyer hat on for a minute, in all seriousness, if the facts justified it, here's the defense that I would run. If the arrest itself or the attempted arrest or detention of the individual was unlawful, they had the right to run from police. And in Kosoyan, the Supreme Court of Canada and the Kosoyan and City of Montreal case, she fought with the police and actually injured them and was charged with uh, obstruction and assault PO. And it was determined that she should be found not guilty because the original reason for her arrest was unlawful. So by extension of the logic in Kasoyan, if the only way that you can escape the arbitrary abuse of police powers of unlawful, unjustified arrest is to steal a purulator van and flee for your own safety, that is justified. My God, you're compelling. <laughs> Okay, but let's wrap this up. That's a good argument. Okay. Thanks, Kyla. We yeah. have lots to talk uh, about next week. That was a good case. Don't steal don't a Purolator van. Don't steal a Purolator van under any circumstances. Obviously, this is kind of a joke because uh, that's the ridiculous driver of the week. And that's our podcast. Thanks, Kyla. If you need to reach us to find us for a driving law-related issue, you can give us a call at 604-685-8889 or find us online at vancouvercriminallaw.com and tune in next week for another exciting episode of Driving Law. 